friends, my name is Angie Cooksey, and this is the first episode of Elevating Admission Voices podcast. Um, hopefully not the only episode, but you know, we got to start somewhere. So today is our first episode. Um, and this podcast really came out of a series of conversations with others in the fields. I've been in admissions for about 15 years. And in the last probably five or six years, really started looking around and, and talking with people and, and saying, you know, I don't know that I hear anybody that's thinking the way that I am or asking the questions the way that I do or curious about things the way that I am. And I'm curious about what other people are curious about. And I, I, I kind of felt like I was hearing the same things over and over again from people. And a lot of the conversations I started having were other people sort of saying the same thing. And I think I got to a point where I kept saying, gosh, I wish I could hear other women or other voices that weren't being elevated as much in our field. And about, I don't know, four or five months ago, somebody was like, it sounds like a podcast. And I was like, somebody should do that podcast. And then we got to the place where it was like, maybe you should do that podcast, Angie. And I, I don't know where that will land us, but we are here today. Um, and my hope with this is that we get to elevate the voices in admissions that we don't get to hear from all the time. Um, Cause I think that when we have more people at the table and we have more voices at the table, it's better for our field um, that we all learn more. I think when we only hear from the same people all the time um, and there's really amazing people in our field and it's, I always feel lucky to hear from those people. Um, but I think there's really new and great admission counselors that have things to add and people who've been doing this for five and 10 and 20 years that have things to add too. And so that's what I hope this space will be. And my first guest today is Chun. And I am, I have to say, and I told her this before we popped on, I am a huge fangirl from afar. Very candidly, we've never met in person. We have only messaged on Facebook Messenger and um, via email. Um, but I had reached out to you, Nikki, I think maybe two months ago. And I said, wouldn't it be cool if there was a podcast? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, wait, I think I might start the podcast. And you were so kind. And you were like, you should do that. And then I said, would you be my first guest? And you were like, yes, absolutely. And I, I'm not sure if you knew when you said yes, that I was actually going to try to do this, but I'm so glad um, did say yes. So Nikki, before we kind of jump into everything, I would love to give you some space to share a little bit about your story. You currently serve as the vice provost for enrollment management at University of Hawaii at Manoa. And um, I think that's one of those things where it's, you probably don't go from first day on the job as an admission counselor to vice provost. And so I love to hear what that track looked like for you um, and how you kind of ended up there. Um, so with that, welcome. And what is a little bit about where you're at and where you how you got there? Sure, no, thank you so much, Angie, for including me in this journey. Um, I. I, I figured at the time that if I was going to encourage you to do this, and if you're going to ask me to be a part of it, well, I mean, yes, I'm going <laughs> to going to say yes. So I think I had some idea of um, of what I was saying yes to. But congratulations on getting to this point, and thank you for being willing to um, to elevate uh, the voices of. Um, more people in this profession. So yes, I'm on year 19 in, in college admissions, higher ed. And as you said, like, you know, I, I kind of do remember those first days as a WE admissions counselor. And no, this was not 
what I thought about um, or what I thought was going to happen um, about 20 years down the road. I started in this work because I was a tour guide, uh, much like many of our, our friends and colleagues and my mentors, people that were really important to me in my growth, especially in college, were in the admissions office. And so it made sense to pursue um, a job in their office. And that's just sort of how it all happened. And everything just kind of snowballed from that point. I never imagined that I would be in a role like this one ever, um, much less returning back to my own hometown. It is such an honor to be in this role. It's like in reflection, and I've, I've been doing a lot of that lately, reflecting um, in reflection, realizing that, um, you know, while this may not be, while this may not have been by design, because um, I didn't really have a design, I, I probably ended up here because I was, a, I started to recognize opportunities for what they were. And so much like this conversation, I have learned the value of saying yes. My, my world's quickly turned on its head um, as I was a candidate for this role. And then in the search process, realizing that I really wanted this job. So by the time, by the time we got to some of the final stages of this particular job, I knew that if they offered it to me, I was gonna say yes. And uh, here I am, yeah. I love that so much. Um, hearing kind of your, your journey and as you were talking about reflecting on getting to go back home, I think that that connects with so many people. I think so many people start in this field because we get the privilege to work for our alma mater. We get to represent the town that we come from or the state that we come from or the country that we're from um, or, or something. There's some connection, right, to this field um, that's drawing us there. I'm curious you know, when, when you're going for those big positions and you're going for those big roles, some part of this is also leaning into finding your own footing and your own voice in this field. And I'm curious how you've navigated that or what that journey or process has looked like for you to, to go in. You, well, you mentioned kind of going back home and, um, you know, to me, finding that place to say like, you're the person that they need in this moment and, and having the confidence to stand in that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I know that my confidence doesn't come quickly. I, I think back to my earlier, my earlier stages in, in this career and something that I've shared with folks, because it was for me a, a turning point. You know, I was told by a, a senior um, leader in enrollment that I would never become a director because I was not, I didn't have hard edges. Um, Interesting. And I just, I remember thinking, I remember thinking in that moment and never having the courage to say it out loud. Although today I think I might actually have the courage to say it out loud without thinking in fact. Um, <laughs> I just remember thinking like, well, if being a director means being like you, then no, I don't ever want to be a director. Um, yeah. We've created these these prototypes of leaders, and we have we have filled them, um, and then we expect everyone to look like that, to talk like that, to be like that, and 
I, I, you know, I attribute this a lot to people that I have gravitated towards as mentors, leaders, friends. I, I reached a point in my own skin where I was like, you know what? I mean, I don't want to be like you. So if getting to that point means being like you, then maybe that's just not the point that I want. Ironically, the more I walked into that skin, the more I found myself in these roles. Yeah. Um, and I was just talking with someone the other day about how this, these, this particular role in, in, in institutions are mostly filled by white males. And as I started to engage in search processes, especially in the more, more recent years in my career, and really just started to embrace this idea, like, I mean, take me or leave me because I will not show up into your space as anything but what you see. And, and if that's not your, if that's not your jam, then that's, that's fine. Don't pick me. I, I, I'm not always sure exactly how to get there. Um, I don't know that I could like train it. I wish that maybe I thought I had been trained, but I think a place to start is to pay attention to yourself. And if what you're thinking is like, I mean, if what you're thinking is much like the inner voice in my head from those years ago, like pay attention to it because it's, there's something there. And by the time I got to this role, I was comfortable enough to say, look, like there's something you want. There's something I can bring. But if you don't want what I'm bringing, then let's not do this. Yeah, because that's not going to be a good fit for you or for the institution. Yeah, and I think that's that's hard even on the receiving end of, of something like that. I, I think that's what we run into a lot still in this profession is that institutions think they know what they want and they they outwardly say they want something. And then they hire someone who fits that prototype and that person gets set up for, for failure. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've worked in enough environments where I know what getting set up for failure looks like. And I refused, I refused to like, I just needed to know that there was enough room that I was going to be set up for success. And so ultimately for me, knowing that there were other colleagues, mentors, and people who, who thought more like me than not, Mm -hmm. um, was a signal that this was going to be an amazing opportunity and has been. I love that. I, I was listening to what you're talking about. And one of the things that was just kind of percolating in my brain, listening to you speak is it feels like you found the joy in being authentically who you are and bringing that to your workspace. And I, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent what you're saying. And so if you're like, Angie, that's not what I'm saying, but I wonder if you have advice on for others, whether they're women in the field or other um, people in the field who don't see themselves in in these roles, where can they find ways to celebrate themselves to bring that joy into their work so that others can see it? Because I see it just just you talking about it. It's like she is authentically who she is. And I, I think that's hard to get there sometimes. It is. It is. And I'm not really sure how that happened. Maybe, maybe, okay, what pops in my head is like, 
I am I am unafraid of failure. I I almost gravitate towards it. It's I don't so I don't know if that's necessarily something I encourage. Um, <laughs> but um, I I have gravitated towards failure enough and not failed that I'm like. And part of it is that I, I've learned my own, my, my strengths. I've learned where my strengths end. Um, yeah. I fully embrace that. Like even walking into this job, this job is responsible for admissions, financial aid and registrar. Okay. Heck if I ever came near worlds of financial aid and registrar, but I thought of advice from mentors that you don't necessarily have to know how to do the job you have to know how to support the people who do the job well. And I, I, I come back to that. Like I have the utmost respect for all of the, um, for each and all of the directors in the units that are in my responsibility. And I will always come back to the question, what can I do to support you? Mm-hmm. I, may, I may not know. Sometimes maybe I'll have to learn how to, put together a financial aid package, or maybe, and this is where I'm now, I'm learning just enough to be like helpful. Um, (laughs) And, and um, like crash courses on things. Um, But there is a really big difference in leadership where like, there are managers who, who say that they support you and don't know enough to do that. And then the ones who know too much so mm-hmm. that the support is undermined. And it's about finding a balance that works for who you are. And I've learned that about me. Like, I am I am not afraid to walk into a space and say like, no, don't ask me financial aid questions. Ask, <laughs> ask that. In fact, I said it last night. Um, I was like, ask that person over there, let me go with you. Cause then I'll learn something too. Um, and I don't know that a lot of people, I feel like that is, I feel like, um, the vulnerability, I guess. Um, and we don't get taught how to be constructively vulnerable. I'm going to put it in that. Okay. Um, I kind of want to steal that phrase because I think (laughs) like I, and especially as women were you had mentioned a little bit ago, like there's this really pretty rigid box of what leadership quote unquote is or quote unquote looks like or should be. And vulnerability doesn't fall into that as a strength of it. It is often looked at as a weakness or a hindrance to leadership. And I think um, the way that you've positioned that is really valuable because I think there are so many women, particularly who are like, this is who I am. And it's proud. I'm proud of that characteristic I'm a better leader I'm a I'm more compassionate I'm more pathetic I'm more whatever and that doesn't make me a bad leader it just makes me a different kind of leader uh, and I think that that's something that should be celebrated you had mentioned supporting those around you and I am curious how have you navigated figuring out what kind of support you need and how do you ask for it I've become a very firm, active believer in, um, in therapy. And so I was just, I mean, just this conversation that I was having before this, talking with a friend about how um, leadership is lonely. So there, there are various ways to get there as, as we are learning, you know, there's, there's not, um, there shouldn't be 
a, a set prototype for a leader. But I think prototypes aside, once you get there, it is lonely. I've had to become really comfortable that I'm not here to make friends. And I, I actively remind myself of that because I'm going to make decisions other people won't understand. I'm, I have the potential to become unpopular very quickly if I was ever popular. I have the potential to become disliked very quickly. And the more you move into these leadership roles, the more you have to be okay with that. Nobody teaches you how to do that. Um, but I think that um, it's, it's really lonely. And so you have, to, you have to know what resonates for you. When I was in Pasadena, I found a therapist that really worked for me. And I hadn't really thought about how having a woman of color therapist was going to be sure. particularly helpful. Um, but as I started to, as I started to get comfortable in my own skin and my identities, I started to think about how my my racialized identities are a very big part of who I am. I definitely love to take advantage of opportunities within the professional realm to connect with people within my peer group. Mm-hmm. Because um, as you move into these roles, you can't find camaraderie in your own institution necessarily, but there's camaraderie in other people that are in these roles at other institutions. And so it's been, it's actually been really incredible to feel like I have been growing up in this profession alongside a number of other people that have been moving through in much the same way and remaining friends with them. And there's a lot of value in your your group texts that you have at your fingertips, your literal fingertips. And so I have friends that like, I know I can immediately find and don't even have to explain myself much. And I have that sort of immediate sense of relief that somebody out there in the world, like they get me in this moment and, and I, can, I can keep going. So I think like people should just tap into those, tap into those resources and push past any kind of preconceived notions that you're, that you're accessing these resources, if there are any of those. And sometimes they'll work for you and sometimes they won't and that's okay. I think you're going to realize that you're going to realize at the opportune moments that it was really good to at least put the at least put the network in place, at least put the support net somewhere that like because you never know when you're going to need it. It's so funny. I just went out for coffee with one of the vice presidents at our at my institution um, who's not in enrollment management. And I was kind of explaining our field a little bit to him. And he's like, wait, you're friends with all of these people. At, aren't they our competitors? And I was like, Yes, but no, it's a whole, I, it, it's an interesting field because it's not really like anything else. And I think you're so right. The, the value of our colleague network um, certainly can't be underplayed as, as you do navigate those, those chains of leadership, um, whether it's up or side. You had mentioned a little bit ago something about a piece of advice um, or something that somebody had told you, this is what this has to look like. And it sparked my curiosity about 
is there a piece of advice that you're glad that you didn't take? So sort of flipping that question of like, what's the best piece of advice you ever got? And again, I ask it because again, I think as, as women and in a field that's dominated at the leadership levels by men, there's a lot of prescribed, this is what you should. And as you've navigated your own path, is there anything kind of looking back that you're like, kind of glad I didn't do that? Well, I guess in that sense, I'm glad that I didn't take, well, it wasn't advice. I guess that's sort of why I'm (laughs) kind of quizzically thinking about it. It wasn't like I was being given, well, maybe not couched as advice, but to be told, like, if I was going to move into these roles, I needed to have harder edges. I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I didn't turn around because I feel like people do that, especially when you're in those earlier, more impressionable stages of anything. I'm glad that I didn't turn around and say like, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to be harder, edgier. Um, I'm, I'm actually glad that even if it was just an inner voice that was like, ugh, ew, gross, go away. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm very, very glad that I didn't turn around and start to redefine myself in that way. Cause it would have, it would be miserable for a lot of people. (laughs) I just, I don't know how to, I don't know how else to show up in these spaces. And I'm very glad for that. I got some, you know, we think when you're in this field for so long, you do every leadership assessment, right? Every personality assessment under the sun, you get to a place where you're like, cool, I've done this eight times. Um, But I had done this strengths finder a couple of years ago. And then we all went into COVID lands. um, And I'll be very transparent. Empathy is in my bottom strengths of that strengths finder exam thing. And I came back the next year and I was like, I've really worked on this. Like, I feel like I, it's got to be better. It has to be higher. And the person leading that assessment said, just because you're, you have a strength that is a bottom strength. It doesn't mean it's not something that you can't do or that you're not good at. It's just not something that gives you energy. And it's not something that innately you find joy in. And it's when you're doing those things that at the end of the day, you're like, I am exhausted. And so listening to you talk about that um, reminds me of that conversation. Cause I think it's again, finding the lens of who you authentically are and whether that's in admissions or higher education or in or outside of this field, being able to show up in this space as who you are is how you're going to be energized to do this work. And this is hard work. It's not, it's not just easy stuff that we're doing every day, right? Yeah, it's exhausting. It's, it's energizing. <laughs> energizing and exhausting. It's so funny you say that. Like my my top strength was responsibility. And yeah. it was such an aha moment for me because um up until that point, um, I was always discouraged for taking so much, like taking responsibility so seriously. Um, my <laughs> the word that was used often in my kindergarten report card by different teachers, I just I remember clearly. I remember this vividly. Was conscientious. Okay. And. And I've carried that word with me, not really knowing when I was in kindergarten what it meant, but like, I I thought it, I was always sort of, um, it was always presented to me as a drawback um, that, um, that, you know, taking responsibility that heavily, that seriously. And then 
going through the strengths finder exercise, I was like, hold on. Like, <laughs> actually, actually, yeah, this, this works. And so people shouldn't complain. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, kind of similarly to what it sounds like happened with you. I, I had a chance to turn it, to turn it around and, and embrace it. And it has, it's worked. It's, mm-hmm. it's worked for me. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Taking responsibility for things is not bad. So get over it. <laughs> I love that so much. Um, so my, my last kind of, I told you I'd have some just corny interview kind of questions. Um, but there's not a roadmap to this work, right? There's not a linear path of if you do this for so long, you then become promoted. And then if you do that for so long, you then become promoted. One of the things I've had a lot of conversations about, and I think a lot of people are challenged by, regardless of how you identify, is that ambiguity of our field of like, well, how do you get from point A to point B? And so I'm not asking you for a roadmap, but I am curious as you look back on your 19 years, is there a project or an experience or something that you were a part of that you were like, this feels like it was important or a turning point? And it doesn't have to be something that's huge, but like maybe it was when you realized like, this is the field I'm supposed to be in, or this is the work, you know, like whatever that looks like. But do you have a moment like that? I feel like because we're, our work is so cyclical, that moment comes around every year. It's what keeps us here, right? Right. You know, it's it's being able to see students from the earliest stages that we've met them clear through now at this point, um, graduate studies, careers, um, and now with social media, like really getting to watch them grow. There was a student that I met years ago through College Horizons, who's now in med school. And like, I, I love just thinking about how, just thinking about those earlier moments. And it's like, just when, I think just when the profession has completely drained us and some student with their energy and their brightness and their hope for the future um, shows up and puts my hope back. And I'm like, oh, fine, fine. One more year. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you chatting with me. Um, As I said at the beginning, my hope with this podcast is that we elevate the admission voices that maybe we don't hear from all of the time. And I know yours is a voice that that there are a lot of people in our profession that know, um, but not that everyone in our profession knows. And so I hope that um, somebody got to hear something today that they get to take away. And if nothing else, I hope what people hear in this, in this podcast is that this is a career that you belong, regardless of how you identify or where you come from or what your background is. We need your voice in this field. And don't be afraid to ask the questions. And if you see a place that's it's missing, be willing to step in. Um, Cause sometimes you might end up with a podcast and somebody like <laughs> might say, yes, we should do that. Um, and then we end up here. And so I am just so thankful for you. Um, for those who have done this work before us to get to a place where it feels perfectly reasonable to say we should do this or that our voices should be part of these conversations. Um, 
I think that's something that is important to recognize because there's a lot of really amazing people who have done a lot of work to change our field over the last 15, 20, 40 years. So it looks different today than it did back then. And I hope conversations like these, as we start to continue to elevate other voices, um, that someday in, in 10 or 15 or 20 years, somebody looks back and is like, how completely basic was that podcast? It's there should, this is obvious. This is all the things that we are now. Um, and so I, I hope that that's where we get. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. And hopefully there'll be a, an episode too. So bye friends.